joining us. This is Della Rucker of the Wise Economy Workshop and Econogy, and I wanted to share with you today a section of a presentation that I did with Derek Peebles, who is one of our partners at Econogy and is also the director of the Economics of Compassion Initiative, which is a nonprofit in Cincinnati that is focused on bringing asset-based community development approaches into action. So if you are not familiar with what asset-based community development is about, uh, Derek's going to give you a great overview and a great insight into this approach, which I really think is crucial to developing new solutions and more meaningful and more effective ways to address the deep challenges that face many of our communities. So I'll let Derek do the explaining about that. Sit back and enjoy. And if you have any questions or any insights or good ideas, feel free to add them to the comments. Thanks, and have a great time. Experience. How's that for Stephanie? Thank you. 
you like, thank you, um, You see three names on the board. Owen Rage is my business partner, Abby Comedy. Um, he had to stay in Cincinnati today to prep for a training for university students that we're doing tomorrow. We have the last minute things so he had to take care of us. So I'm going to run through kind of a very high level overview, overview and then we're going to progressively get a little bit deeper until we get down to applying it to the work that you're doing in the communities that you care about. So first of all, I felt like I needed to give you an explanation. A lot of you have heard me talk at these conferences before, and you've heard me talk over a bunch of different things. And my name changed again, or my company name changed again. So I want to explain to you what we're doing. The firm that Eric and I and Owen are, are part of together is called Ecology. And Ecology is what we describe as a system of companies. And the purpose of the system of companies is to solve economic and community problems by connecting new resources together that haven't worked together very effectively before and figuring out how to do it. So we have three primary purposes right now. One is called linked consulting. That's actually consulting that is done by students in universities for small businesses and organizations that need help. And so they do analysis projects like pricing studies or marketing studies. They do design work. We've got a team that's redesigning a scientific device right now. And we're starting a practice that's going to focus on sustainability. So on analysis and um, looking at alternatives and how businesses and communities work in a more sustainable manner. And managed development system is a training program that focuses on small businesses and facilitates peer-based learning amongst them. That helps them to grow their business fundamentals, which is a big problem for a lot of small businesses, to become better business owners and better business operators over the long term. Finally, Neighborhood Grow is a system for building a neighborhood's vitality by capitalizing on all of its assets, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Understanding for that work. And our partner in Cincinnati that Eric will tell you more about is an organization called Economics of Passion, and that's been a very important partner for us in doing the work of neighborhood growth. So. Take a quick look at what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about how we use the learning, how we as professionals have learned to use disadvantaged communities over time. We're going to talk about what happens with the change of perspective. We'll talk about asset-based community development, what it is, how it works, what the hearing is, all of that. We'll give you some examples and then we will have you a little thought into how this can apply to your community. So, first of all, how many people here 
have a degree in urban planning, city management, economic development, some such thing. What? Okay. How many of you are in an elective or appointed position? Okay. How many of you have been in that position for more than three years? Okay. So you've had enough time in those positions to really sort of imbibe the mode of operation. How many of you are in very large community city Okay? Over here. How many of you are in towns of less than 10,000 people? Okay? Good. I think it's a good sense of where you all are coming from. And so part of what I'm going to be talking about here is going to be stuff that maybe some of you have learned formally. And part of it's going to be stuff that if you didn't, nobody sat down and taught you in a class. So it's going to be information that you probably haven't picked up over the course of the time that you've been working on these issues. When we look at, and let's just say disadvantage to you, when we look at communities that have problems where something is not working the way we think it should be, we can look at those communities, whether it's an issue of poverty or an issue of environmental issues or their um, ethnic concerns. We often tend to look at these communities from what we sometimes call a needs-based approach. And what that means is that we're looking at these communities and we're saying, something's wrong here. Something is damaged. Something went in a direction that we don't think it should have. A lot of times we're looking at these communities and we're saying they're broken. Something that used to work doesn't work anymore and it's shattered. It's not what it's supposed to be. A lot of times, we call, I said needs-based communities, a lot of times we look at them and we say all we see are the needs. We see problems. We see limitations. And a lot of times we look at these communities and we say these are places that need to be rescued. That need to be saved from whatever it is that they're doing. So this is the way I know it's as an urban planner, this is the way I was taught. And not taught out of a book, but I'm taught out of the experience of working with the people that I work with in the profession over many, 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 many years. And here's an interesting thing. What happens with the change with respect on what those communities are about? What if we see them in a different place? How many of you see 
the dude pointing at saxophone with the bird flying by. And how many of you see a woman? And how many of you know that I've said both of those things and suddenly you're looking back to the point in your head? Okay. Brian, you just have to that. Brian's like, yeah, of course. So, part of the challenge in this is to say, okay, what happens if we change the perspective? When we look at these communities, what if instead of looking for the things that are damaged, what if we look out for the things that are count? For the things that people can do? So maybe we wouldn't have noticed if all we were looking at were the damages. What happens if we look for the network? What happens if we look for how people are connected to each other? And how community organizations are connected to each other. What happens if instead of seeing a bunch of different separate elements, we actually look a little deeper and see the connection between them? But what happens when we start looking a little deeper and we start thinking about what the assets in these places are? Maybe not assets that we're used to thinking about. Maybe assets that have to do with people and organizations of people and histories of people and legacies of people. Maybe that's a very different way to approach these questions of what do we do to improve these and so Derek's going to give you a little history of what we mean when we talk about asset-based development. I'm going to just talk back here. All right. Hello. Can everybody hear me? Okay. Good. Um, my name is Derek Peoples, and like Bella had uh, said earlier, I am a partner with her and the new company that we had started a year ago along with our partner who was unable to be here today, Econogy. But I'm also the director of a small nonprofit in Cincinnati, Ohio called the Economics of Compassion Initiative. And a lot of what we do, and we call it ECI, that's kind of the acronym for that. And what we do is we work to engage public and secular and non-secular community on how to reimagine a new economy that's more resilient for everyone. And so our whole methodology, if you will, is, is highly focused on identifying the current narrative of a community and actively working with the people and the residents in that community to realize a different narrative. And so what we're all about is really changing narratives of communities to for people to be able to carve out a life of their own. And so when we talk about asset-based community development, that is the methodology that we use that's been studied for about 30 or 40 years or so. Um, and it started with uh, a couple of individuals, John McKnight, 
and Jody Pressman out of Chicago, Illinois, uh, and they started the ABCD Institute at Northwestern uh, University of Chicago. And it's all focused around building the community from the inside out. And typically, us as professionals, when we're working in communities, we tend to look from the outside in. So asset-based community development is really just a, it's a, it's a strategy for sustainable community-driven development. Beyond the mobilization of a particular community, ABCD is concerned with how to link micro-assets to micro-environments. And so the appeal of ABCD lies in its premise that communities can drive the development process themselves by identifying and mobilizing existing but often unrecognized assets. And so it thereby responded to a creating local economic opportunity. And so it's all about looking at the glass half full versus looking at the glass half empty. So ABCD builds on the assets that are already found in the community and mobilizes individuals, associations, and institutions to come together to build on those assets. Not concentrate on the need. That's very important when we're looking at ABCD. So an extensive period of time is spent in identifying the assets of individuals, associations, and then institutions before they are mobilized to work together to build on the identified assets of everyone involved, okay? So then the identified assets from an individual are matched with people or groups who have an interest or a need in that asset. So the, the key is to begin to use what is already in the community. And so as professionals, community planners, social service agencies, elected officials even, oftentimes, we live in a society where we're taught that we live in an economy of scarcity. And so we're automatically, robotically trained to identify needs in a community. And so typically, if you work in a field where you're serving communities, this map may be very familiar to you. It's called a community needs map. And you can see how it's laid out. It's often focused on the needs, but when you look at the people who live there, many of us, like Bella said earlier, we think of communities as, as, as a population uh, of needs and, and problems, things to solve. And so when you look at these needs maps, Recognize, for instance, I spent a lot of time in my career working with young people. But when you look at a map like this, think about the young people that live in, in that community. And 
if you have been trained as a professional helper, this is the map that we use to solve problems. So, now step by and ask yourself if you're the people that actually live in this community. Tell me how you would feel if the only way their community was being seen was just a collection of problems and needs. Would you feel hopeless? Depressed? Would you feel like it is self-fulfilling prophecy that things will just continue to be bad? Even to the point that you may not vote when elections come up. And think about that for a second. Who benefits from seeing communities as people of the problems and needs? We do. The people in this room. We benefit from that. After all, people and communities needs are what kept or will keep us employed. What is unfortunate is that we have to paint our communities and their citizens in such negative terms in order to secure funding to be able to serve us. So even when you look at funds and grants that you're applying for, the one thing that you have to report on, or one thing that you have to identify, is what is the problem statement? You know, what is the needs of this particular community? And so when you think about nonprofits, we live in a society where this is all we see. But if you're the people living in that community and you're constantly told that you're represented or you're viewed in this way, then you begin to develop an internal oppression that you cannot feel or that you feel that things will never get better no matter what I do. So I do not mean to imply, and let me be careful about this, I do not mean to imply that communities do not have needs and problems. They certainly do. However, it is only half of the glass. It is the half empty part of the glass. So, when we talk about asset-based community development and when we talk about mapping the needs of the community. This is our alternative to that needs-based approach. So what you're looking at now is a community asset map. And you can see how they're a lot different from the map that I just showed you. So John McKnight, the founder of the ABCD Institute at Northwestern University, once said that there's no need or problem ever solved. No need or problem has ever solved a problem. It is only people and organizations' assets that solve problems. So without the half-full part of the glass, we have no community tools to solve problems. And fortunately, every person in every community has access. In addition to the professionals who serve the community, 
everyone who lives in the community, young or old, has assets as well. So let's look at the half-full part of the glass. After all, when we ask, is the glass half-full or half-empty, as far as young people in, uh, are concerned, the answer is always yes. So we all have these with problems, and we all have special gifts of access that we contribute to that. So what you're looking at now, there are five major assets, five major asset groups of every community. Those are individual youth and adult citizens and residents. They are also voluntary organizations, such as your churches, your block clubs, uh, different neighborhood groups. Think about your community councils. Think about your neighborhood watch association. And community institutions such as government, schools, businesses, and nonprofits. Earlier I talked about how we typically look on, we typically are on the outside looking at communities inward. And this whole approach of asset-based community development is looking from the inside and working our way out. So that's what I mean when I say that this whole approach is built on building communities from the inside out. And so if you work for a nonprofit, and this is kind of one of the examples that I'll get into later, I worked for a small nonprofit. There was a hip-hop arts organization in Cincinnati. And it didn't start that way. It started out as a community action group going out and actually talked to the young people in the community, talked about what they care about. And so what we were actually doing was a personal asset inventory. What are you good at? What are you interested in? And as we were, and this was at Cincinnati probably back in 2004 when this research was done. And it was after the Cincinnati riot in 2001 in, uh, over the Rhine, where you had a lot of young people that just didn't have any hope whatsoever. OTR, there were riots, people that left, businesses that left the community. It, it was, pretty bad, as, as many of you all probably know. So how we started when I worked at Elements was asking young people what they were good at. And what came out of that was that they were interested in hip-hop. Well, you think about how hip-hop started in the 70s. It started as a creative platform for young people in South Bronx during the 70s to creatively express themselves, to have a voice. As hip-hop has become more commercialized, it has the negative connotations that we see today. But what we did was we used hip-hop as a tool to engage young people in that community where 98% of the members that we had initially were, were hospital dropouts. At first, we just wanted a hook for them 
to get them off the street. And so we started out by doing a personal asset inventory, asking them what they cared about, asking them what they're good at. And typically when you go to a social service agency and you're someone who's looking for help, what happens is that they'll do an intake form and they'll ask you a bunch of questions to figure out what's wrong with you. So what we did was we reversed that by asking, instead of telling me three things you don't like about your community, why don't you tell me three things that you do like about this community? And that was part of the personal asset inventory. And we also asked them, how many adults do they have in their life that actually care about them? It was very surprising to hear that a lot of these young people had no one, not even the parent in their household that they could trust. And so as that manifests over time, this is a lot of what we see in communities in the fragmentation. And when we talk about development, oftentimes people like us that go into communities telling them what we think they need. So when you're looking at asset-based community development, there's, there's three major parts. First is identifying individual assets in the community. But the second major part is identifying associations. Associations are a group of people who get involved and volunteer their time. This does happen in what we see in, our, in neighborhoods, with neighborhood watch groups, with community councils. However, even those watch groups and those councils are also focused on problem solving versus possibility. And so America's known for that. People coming together to figure out problems in their neighborhood. All associations are important. Voluntary associations are the largest untapped resource in most communities. Think about the associations that you are a part of and what they might do to improve conditions in particular for young people because they have their future in their community. Ask the people what groups that they belong to. And so the second major part of asset mapping is identifying association. Now you're also, the third part, of any community is the institutions that are already there. So these institutions include schools, government, businesses, hospitals, and healthcare organizations along with other nonprofits, library, law enforcement, public safety. Institutions can either be fortresses or they could be treasure chests. So a fortress institution are those that have assets but do not share them. Okay? They are barricaded from the community. Schools, governments, universities, hospitals, and others can be fortresses. And think about it, a school that's only open during the school hours 
is a fortress institution. A treasure chest institution would be an example of a school that opens early for parents that have to get to work early or that are coming off third shift. And there are also schools that host after-school programs. But they also may host... A school is a very valuable asset in the community, and there are also some schools in the country that also have after-service hours for parents to come in and learn computer skills. And so that's an example of a treasure institution. And so they have assets that they share with the community. And so when we think about access strategies for creating treasure trust institutions, we're really looking at you need to think A, B, C, D to identify resources. And this will may be hard to see. But a lot of what I do in my work under Neighborhood Grow that Bella had mentioned which is a part of our business is that I have this will and then when I'm meeting with community councils, when I'm meeting with elected officials, and when I'm meeting with civic leaders in a certain community, this is a lot of what our focus groups are based around. And so, just back up for a second. I think there was a slide So in order to identify <coughs> the community associations and institutions in your community, you can use this wheel and fill in all the organizations and their assets under each of the categories. So it'll give you a very strong starting point in mapping your community's assets. Now this could be done on a very grassroots level. So finally, you may want to label these institutions or associations as fortresses or treasure chest organizations. It gives you a good idea of what type of organizations in your community that would be open to work with, working with you from an asset-based perspective. Organizations that could come together with you not to problem-solve, but to focus on possibilities in a certain community, utilizing the assets and gifts and understanding of what everybody cares about in that community. So in Kenya, Communities use what they call the leaky bucket theory to analyze what financial resources the community has at its disposal and how it utilizes these resources to benefit the community. Each community has its own resources coming into it, tax revenues, various things, but you can also see on the bottom that there's positive things such as educational services, social services, recreation, health care, groceries, and also housing. 
And when you make a list of all of the sources of revenue available to your community organization, you make a list of how the community and organization spends its resources. Evaluate the quality of the services your community receives. For example, are your expenditures for education getting the young people a quality education? So this analysis of where a community and your organization gets its resources and how it spends its resources can give you an idea of how you might change the way the community uses its resources and demand more accountability from its institutions. So in summary, assets are not assets unless people want to share them. And you can see these are typically the, the community assets that are already located in a community. So where do you start if you're going to use these assets to benefit our young people, for instance? Typically that starts with the conversation. And like I said earlier, around focus groups, neighborhood councils, developers in a community will typically come together about a new development. But often times the feedback from the people and the residents of that community is often overlooked or ignored. And so you start by having a conversation like I've referred to a couple of times where you bring people in and, and talk about the possibilities of what a community can be versus coming together to just problem solve. This is very different, and it's a total paradigm shift because we're trained to solve problems. And so when I talk about Elements, which was the young hip-hop organization that I started doing this ABCD work, and after I did the personal asset inventory to found out what our young people and our organization cared about, that's how we developed our organization around educational programming based around hip-hop, because that's what they cared about. And it's not that we were encouraging our young people to become hip-hop artists and rappers and things like that. It's just that's what they grabbed onto. And what we were able to really see out of that was that it's a platform for, for people to creatively express themselves. And so, one of the, one of the primary components of hip hop culture is graffiti writing. And as you know, graffiti has always been looked at as vandalism. And a lot of the youth that were assigned to me from the Hamilton County Juvenile Justice Center were young kids that got in trouble for writing graffiti on businesses, on billboards, various things. And after I did the personal asset inventory, and after they came to see me, and after I, after they started to see themselves as people that did, 
All we did at that point was we brought in an art teacher to teach them how about art. And what came from that, which was which was led by the young people, after they got encouraged, they wanted to do an art show. And so we worked with them and talked with them about putting their graffiti that they put on walls that's illegal to put it on canvas. And we taught them how to talk about their paintings and how to talk about their art and what it meant to them. And we taught them how to share it and to be able to communicate. That was a very valuable skill they learned. And so when we hosted this art show, part of asset-based community development is getting people from outside of the community to appreciate what's already there. So we were calling people, educators from the wealthiest neighborhoods in Cincinnati. Come see what these young people are good at. Come check out their gifts. Come talk to them. You might change their perception of you, and your perception of them might change as well. And so after we hosted this art show, and we had all these people from all different neighborhoods, from all walks of life, and we had about six students that we were representing, and there were former graffiti artists that were all on probation. And we had this beautiful-looking art show of graffiti on campus all around the room. And we had this uh, doctor from Indian Hill, a very wealthy neighborhood in Cincinnati, come over to this young 15-year-old kid. It was like, hey, I like this painting. My young 12-year-old son is in the graffiti. He's a skateboarder, and, you know, he likes this type of stuff that's all about their culture and things like that. How much are you charging for this paint? And this 15-year-old kid was like, I don't know. Um, what do you want to pay for it? How about $3,000? My 12-year-old likes this type of stuff. But I think he would really enjoy it. So how about I give you about $3,000 for this? That kid at 15 years old now has his own art studio. He's a graduate of the Art Academy for Cincinnati. He now has his art, own art studio and is teaching classes in low-income neighborhoods in Chicago, Illinois. His whole paradigm shifted. You see what I mean? We're talking about a paradigm shift. And part of one of the other components of hip hop is, is rapping, right? And suit making, you know? And we also had kids that were part of our organization that were interested in singing, hip hop, and things of the like. Well, we wanted to schedule a concert for them and, and run the same model that we did for the art students. Bring people from all over to come see what our students have to say. 
Well, we had to schedule a venue to host this concert, and we wanted to do it in a pretty neutral neighborhood. Well, we went to talk to the owner of this pretty popular venue, entertainment venue, and I went to talk to him, told him about our organization, that we're focused around asset-based development, we're focused around tips without focused around problems, and we have is that, you know, we want to basically host a hip-hop show at your venue. And he was like, get out of here. I would never do that. He was like, you know, after talking to him, he was like, you know, I'll do that. I'll have blues or anything like that, but the one thing that I won't do is hip-hop. And I was just like, wow, but you know, I kind of kept my cool and started talking to him a little bit, you know. And he told me a story of how a police captain in Cincinnati, a police captain's daughter who had gotten married at this owner's venue had told him that 90% of the murders that happened at Cincinnati is because young people are listening to rap music. So I told them the history of our organization. I went all the way back to the 70s in the South Bronx and told them how this office was created. It was a culture. It was an alternative culture. Just like ABCD is an alternative development method. And after talking to them, he started to realize, he was like, you know what, Derek, you're actually doing God's work. He was like, I would love to have this concert here, and I'm actually going to do it for free. And it was the biggest fundraiser that we had that year, it was in 2014. So that's an example of if we in this room could start looking at communities and people who live in those communities as people with gifts instead of people with deficiencies, then we'll start we'll start seeing more democracy is what's going to happen. Because we'll start seeing more people who now have this renewed sense of agency. We talk about empowerment, but really it's about agency. It's about having residents of the community take ownership of their community and be able to share those assets with community planners and developers. I mean, we're the people who are educated about it and study this type of stuff. To think about how much better we would be in our jobs if we had more participation from the residents. I can go all night about this, so that concludes my presentation about asset-based community development. And, and what I would challenge everyone is, is to Do just that. When you meet someone, we're automatically trained to see what's wrong with you. When, when, when someone comes to you and tells you a problem, we're automatically inclined to provide advice for that problem. And let's just start by just listening. 
And so when I talk about how do you do ABCD, it starts by having a conversation that's focused on possibilities and not problem solving. I can tell you what I think if you come to me with a problem, but I'm not going to solve your problem. And this is a very ground level, very grassroots method. It's a way of thinking. It's also a way of living. But when we look at nonprofits and this economic scarcity that, are, that we live in in our society, what we need to really start doing is start questioning the basic beliefs of the current economy that we live in. And let's just start there. Thank you.